hit record. Five, four, three, two, one. Check, 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 check. Uh, say something, Timothy. Something, Timothy. Very good. Oh, your your uh, levels are looking a bit low. Say that. Count to five real fast. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, we're good. All right. Well, people probably slowly trickle in to the... Uh, let's hold on. P- uh, why do people constantly treat people in the service like we are robots or not human? That's a great topic for today. Okay, well, hello everyone. Welcome to the House of Heretics podcast, the patrons only show where Timothy and I talk about bullshit for your listening pleasure. We are live on my Discord server in the patrons-only channels on Discord. So if you want to take part in the live discussion here, it is every Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And any tier of my Patreon gets you access. All right. However, because I am profoundly negligent in getting uh, guests for Sacred Tension. This might also be the main show this week (laughs) on Sacred Tension. We will see. So everyone, be on your best behavior. Put your dicks away. Put your tits away. Uh, We need to not horrify the public. Sound good, Timothy? Yeah, I I will do my best. Good. Very good. How are you, love? How's life? I, oh, it's not too bad. Um, nothing really new to report around here, except that people still don't like masks in my air, neck of the woods, and uh, and uh, so I I've, I've been getting friends as uh, in their like mid twenties who have been going into the hospital with bad cases of COVID, and I mean really bad cases um, with so I've, with breakthrough cases. No, uh, this person wasn't even immunized, this friend of mine. So. Oh, oh, okay, I see. Well, I mean, it's the breakthrough cases that scare the fuck out of me. And, you know, I it, it feels kind of like early 2022.0 because for everyone who doesn't know, I manage a grocery store. And let me tell you, managing a grocery store during a pandemic is one of the most terrifying fucking things I've ever done in my life. And, um, that first, those, those first few weeks, those first few months when the pandemic hit in 2020, I was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to die (laughs) is what I was thinking. Like I'm, I'm working with the public. We're keeping the community fed and we, you know, it's a small local market, basically small locally owned market that's very interconnected with our valley and with the families here and with the communities here. And I was I was like, I can't not do this. And like people are counting on me, but also this is genuinely dangerous and I could I could get this. And um it kind of feels like that over again with the Delta variant. I am vaccinated, and my understanding is that being vaccinated makes one much less likely to have a severe case of COVID if you get it, if you do have a breakthrough case. But still, I'm I'm spooked right. by it. It it freaks me out. <laughs> so, 
I just keep I, I'm just keeping the air circulating in my store, making sure everyone is keeping their distance, making sure everyone is wearing masks, except when people threaten us with violence, which has happened. Um, yeah, last year one of so your stores. Sorry, go on. I, I, yeah, I was just so your store store still requires your customers to wear masks, right? Well, so yes, we're we're back to requiring it. Um, there is a season between, you know, there was that there was that season when restrictions were easing between everyone getting vaccinated and the beginning of Delta, right? When, exactly. When everything mm-hmm. started opening up again, and so we started opening up again. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we started easing restrictions but now now it's back and i am so okay with that in part because a i think masks are really fucking kinky there are all these hot guys wandering around my store with masks on and it's kind of hot and two uh the best thing about masks is that i don't have to smile at people (laughs) but i've noticed actually that people can still still tell if you're smiling or not yeah i don't care i will i will <laughs> i will hannibal lecter death glare you over my mask <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. i am i am so oh. i am so sick of smiling at these thankless degenerates who no i'm i shouldn't call them the thankless degenerates i'm just tired of smiling um it's it's not fun. I am a, a super introvert. There are times when all I can do is just when it takes enormous effort just to make eye contact with people. Um, but that said, yes, we are back to doing masks, and I am so okay with that. But nice. anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. Our um. Our Starbucks store that I'm working at still has no seating allowed inside, so I'm very happy about that. We get a lot of people who are upset about it, but honestly, I'm with. We just keep on getting cases of our workers coming down with COVID, or maybe something that they're not too certain about. Just even just this morning, um, one of my coworkers uh, had texted me and asked me if I if I could give him a, a ride back home because uh, he had been dropped off and uh, at work and he started coughing and he didn't know why he was coughing and so the manager said you need to go home mm-hmm. <laughs> so that like, so, uh, I mean he gets paid time off that's what's really great about Starbucks he doesn't have to worry about not getting paid during that time but still it's frustrating yeah absolutely um so one person in chat by the way since this might be airing publicly let's not use people's names um from the chat so one one person from chat says why do people constantly treat people in the service industry like we are robots or not human so timothy we are both in the service industry um right yeah you know I am people treat me like that less now because I'm a manager. And so now it's like whenever I show up it's like, oh, the human has arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whenever I have to fix fix an issue, but 
the general workers um, who are not in management totally get, and I still get treated like I'm not human every now and then, but the the non-management definitely gets treated that way. And yeah, I, I, I have a really hard time understanding why. Like, why, why is, yeah, I, I do not understand. I don't get it. I think part of it has to do with this mindset. Maybe, maybe this is held over for why we, uh, okay, now this is me just spouting off the top of my head. I don't always like doing this because then I, I don't have concrete data in my head to say this is what it is but this is what i'm thinking about you know um we have this mindset if somebody is serving you then that means they're below you status wise Um, oh yeah and and because of that you can treat them less than what you yourself would want to be treated and so that's the concept that I am understanding probably would be the best way for that. And when you brought that up to me, it reminded me of my time that I lived in Germany. Now, I love the German people so much. They are really great people. However, they are terrible in the service industry. Oh, no. Is this a a stereotype? Is this racist against Germans right now? I don't know if it's racist against Germans, but... It, this is and well this is definitely anecdotally so okay. uh, if you go if you go into a typical McDonald's um maybe about 50% of the workers who are there are not german they're foreigners or from another country and huh. willing to take take those jobs be very similar to the workers that we have who are in um the farming industry who uh yeah who come from uh, Latin America to work here. Right. And uh, you don't see as many Americans doing the jobs that Latin Americans do. It's definitely class. There, There's definitely a class-based thing going on. And also, I, the impression I get is that it is, it is an issue of status and class. But deeper than that, the way the public, some people in the public treat service workers i think it it it's also deeply rooted in you you have less attainments and are and are therefore less deserving you deserve this position and i cannot count the number of people who seem to have a real cognitive dissonance when i tell them my background (laughs) when I tell them oh yeah I was a you know I I was a vocal performance major I was a classical musician in school for four years um I have a master or not a master's goodness not a master's yet I have a um I have a bachelor's of music just that just having a bachelor's throws people for a loop the fact that I can get on air every week and talk semi-coherently about politics and philosophy and religion 
really seems to upset people. It and and people are like, why are you still here? People have actually mm. asked me that. Why are you still here? Why do you still work in the service industry? When why you know what are you doing in this kind of job? And I my answer is always there are a lot of people like me in jobs like this. That's just the way it is. Welcome to the 21st century. Welcome to millennials. Mm-hmm. And you know there there's this profound disconnect when it comes to class and and class assumptions it's almost like the class assumptions from the 70s and 80s just have not changed in a lot of ways and yeah. those class assumptions are just... fundamentally dehumanizing right. just be and you know it isn't to say that it, it isn't just to that it is not just to say that they are that they were okay then but they aren't okay now it's like no these class assumptions are fundamentally dehumanizing period mm-hmm. i think well i don't think everybody's like that and that's probably you know another generalization we might need to squash a bit because i mean maybe this is just me personally but whenever somebody does an act of service for me i feel intensely grateful same um for that and i'm like if somebody does something above and beyond what people expect other people to do and it's done for me i feel intensely honored and maybe humbled that somebody would do that and so i try to treat that person then with extra respect but so same and the only thing the only thing i can think of is like when people don't do this they're dealing with some sort of inferiority complex where the easiest way to make yourself feel better is to try to make others treat others worse and that's really stupid but it's it's this fact of psychology that that's so easy to do that's it's a bullying type of thing that and People are so I notice this phenomenon every summer. So I live in the Asheville, North Carolina area, and which is a huge vacation spot. And so every summer we get flooded with vacationers. A lot of them are awesome. A lot of them are also using vacation as a form of marital counseling because their marriages are falling apart and they are and they hate each other and they are trying to use their vacation as like a as as a last ditch effort to relax together and and save their relationships and save their families and save their mental health and so on and vacation can't do that and right. so people are under like massive psychological distress and there's nowhere they can put it it's like there's nowhere they can release it and so they just they just unleash it on service workers like they i watch it happen mm-hmm all the time i see people who are deeply on who who are deeply upset with life probably for good reasons you know like i see people who are deeply unhappy deeply upset deeply lonely and it's like they have no healthy place to put these feelings and so it just explodes onto the service worker in front of them for which is 
absolutely unacceptable and not okay, but I think is also indicative of like a deeper societal issue, which is people are feeling really alienated right now. And alienation mm-hmm. means that they don't have a place to put things. I, oh, this is going to sound like a really small thing, but I remember just this past week, I was taking an order from somebody who got very short with me. It was through the drive through and, and, I wasn't thinking too much of it, but it, she was she was just very short and upset when I didn't hear something correctly on on her drink modification. But I mean, you know, it happens, and so I just asked for clarification, got it. And uh, she, when she got to the window, she was so apologetic to me about Aww. how she treated me. That's it, great. It, it, it it was like she was almost crying the way, and I felt not, then I just felt really bad, and I was like, you know, it happens. Like people get get hurt you know and of course and i and i try not to think too much about oh this is the way you're treating me because of this job but at the same time i'm thinking you know people are coming here because they need to feel better <laughs> and i'm yes. trying to help them feel better you're their drug dealer you're their <laughs> exactly you're their drug dealer <laughs> administering you know something that will hopefully help them get through the day and not you know eat their children or something um (laughs) um oh god what was i about to say i can't i can't remember oh you know and one of the things that i try to remember there are some people who are just awful i mean there there are some people who where i'm like no you're just being a bully right now please leave the store like there are some people like that what I try to remind myself of is that I really have no idea what's happening in people's lives. And right. as I as I get to know the public, because I've been working at this location for over seven years, and so I get I've gotten to know a lot of these different communities and a lot of these different individuals and families who come into the store. And the thing that is always so apparent to me is the level of ambient suffering that is just going on in everyone's life all of the time. Like, every single person has a broken relationship somewhere. Everyone has heartbreak somewhere. Everyone has a serious medical issue themselves or has someone close to them who who has one, especially now in the age of COVID. Everyone is going through some kind of mental health struggle. Everyone is going through some kind of financial stress. Everyone. Everyone is going through like deep-seated existential insecurity. And it becomes, you know, people open up to me when you, people open up to you when, when you see them every other day to get their groceries. And you're like, hi, how are you? And they start telling you how they actually are. And it just becomes incredibly apparent to me how suffering how how there's this ambient level of suffering 24/7 for most people and that doesn't justify how they treat service workers but it does help me realize that sometimes they are completely unaware of it they are completely unconscious of how they are treating me or treating another service worker 
because they every single brain cell is taken up with pain. Every single brain cell is taken up with the loss of their mother or their dad having um you know having alzheimers or a breakup that they just went through i mean it's it and it, all of these things are very mundane and very normal like every single person will experience this and yet it's intense um so that's what i try to remind myself of and it helps it helps quite a bit um you had a question about my notifications. <laughs> well, yeah, you had tweeted earlier this week that you had turned off um, most of your notifications and you were doing something different with them. I can't remember how you said Oh, they're, they are uh, deliver quietly. Yes, there we go. That to was deliver quietly yeah. on, on my iPhone. Have you ever seen... And I had... At... Yes, go on. Mm-hmm. Nope, go on. Oh, and I had asked you what I had asked you if that meant also your text messages. Yes, it does mean my text messages. So I don't have any so I don't have social media on my phone. Um so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are not on my phone, but I still you know, I think that there is a general problem with focus right now because of the rise of things like social media and digital digital media and we have these like glowing squares and rectangles attached to our bodies 24 7 i'm not morally opposed to any of that like i know that i can come off very strongly anti-technology i'm not anti-technology at all i'm not a luddite i mean we're doing this right now on a podcast on over discord um <clears throat> I do think that there is probably a global decline of focus, but I also am starting to realize that I might personally feel it more intensely because of the unique wiring of my brain. And so I watch other people who are able to be on Twitter for an hour and then who are able to be productive for the rest of the day. I can't do that. My It fractures my focus so much. So if, say, in the morning, if I sit down and I get on Twitter or I get heavily involved in a conversation in, on, in Slack for work or whatever, my my focus is gone for the rest of the day. I cannot use it. It, it it's like this massive uphill battle to just bring a sense of cohesion to my ability to think. Um, I'm starting to think that I might be more uniquely fragile when it comes to my own interactions with technology. Um, and so even though I don't have social media on my phone, I find that there is still this huge amount of ambient noise, of distracting noise in my life, even without Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on my phone. Um, if I do have those on my phone, it's 
it's death to me. I literally cannot function. It it's incredible. And I watch and really it it has occurred to me that maybe I am more uniquely susceptible to this because I look at other friends who are able to I won't say that they perform fine. I won't say that they are performing optimally with Twitter on their phone, but they are performing better than me, right? Like they they do better than than I do. Um however, I've mm. still found that you know, it, it just dawned on me that I have this device which I have given the authority to interrupt my ability to focus in literally any moment of the day. And I think that we have this this false dichotomy of how we view our lives as a result, where we tend to see a you know, we are we are drifting through life and then there are bubbles of focus. There are bubbles of attention. And so it's like we we deliberately carve out times of focus where it's like, okay, I'm going to put on do not disturb on my phone so no one can contact me. And for this 30 minutes or this one hour or two hours or whatever it is while I watch a movie or while I get some writing done or focus on this one task or go for and uh, take a nap or go for a run or whatever it is, no one can connect with me during that time but then the rest of the time we're just floating the rest of the time we are unfocused that is untrue we are at every moment present to something period every moment we are present we are engaging with something that requires our attention every single moment if I'm cooking, that cooking requires my attention. If I'm talking to my partner or to a friend, that requires my attention. If I'm driving, that requires my attention. There, there, we've, we've carved up life into this incredibly unnatural and unsustainable thing where it is the, where it's like we have, m- bubbles of focus in just this sea of distraction and basically we have given ours we have given this technology permission to interrupt us during very important tasks that might seem mundane but are in fact the stuff of life the what life is made up of life is made up of boring mundane tasks that we have to be present to it's folding laundry. It's working at in the service industry. It is cleaning the house. All of these require our attention. And it, it's, it was almost like this <laughs> spiritual awakening I had where I was like, anyone can disrupt any of that. No wonder I'm exhausted. No wonder I'm exhausted 24-7. Right? Like... Because the science of context switching is pretty clear Mm. that um, context switching is the rapid movement from one topic or one domain to another. And we think that we can do this really well, but we physically can't. Any distraction, it, it takes about 20 minutes to reach optimal focus 
on a single topic, right? It takes and it takes enormous. It's like climbing up a mountain. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of focus, and so you're climbing up this mountain, and then you reach this state of focus, of optimal focus. It takes about 20 minutes to get there. We are being distracted by our devices every three to 20 minutes, which means we never actually attain a state of optimal focus. And so it's like we get knocked down, we roll all the way back down to the bottom of the hill, and then we have to start climbing back up it again. And the net result of this is extraordinary fatigue. And so, you know, it, it, it was an experiment. I have shut down. So no one can summon me. There are no texts. Slack can't summon me. Discord can't summon me right now. That might be a disaster if a, <laughs> if a troll gets in there. But right now, it, it's like an experiment. And what I've found is that I am not nearly as important as I think I am. I am everything that feels (laughs) 99.9% of the things that feel urgent actually aren't (laughs) like 99.9% of the things that feel massively urgent and important and that I need to respond to right now actually aren't it's fine and if and if and if it is act like if the store is actually burning down or if someone really truly does need to get my attention then they can call me otherwise <laughs> and they will like if it's bad enough if if something is bad enough that requires my attention then they will call me um if it's a but i've found that the vast vast majority of texts aren't actually important enough to disrupt my focus in the moment Anyway, thus endeth the rant. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gus, you put me through a whole bunch of thoughts there. Uh, okay. First of all, you're trying to go against your anti-millennialism there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and actually, uh, the, the, yeah. uh, in terms of calling, in, in terms of the calls. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. It is because I'm a millennial that I know that it will that people will only call me if it is supremely important. <laughs> because I am a millennial and I hate calls. I hate I hate calling people. It's so distressing. I will only call someone if I absolutely must, if it cannot wait, which is why I know that other people <laughs> a lot of other people will uh call me only when it is absolutely important hmm. the thing is uh, the other thing I was thinking though it's not just social media that distracts us though from uh, tasks that we do there are other things that are going to distract us not just social media and you're going to always have interruptions in your life whether or not they're from social media and you can't control those very true. It's the self-interrupting that is so destructive. You know... Well, it's like, oh, goodness. 
my okay this is probably me this is me getting my own weakness here my my the thing that interrupts me from doing tasks is uh laziness oh same <laughs> i will pro i will procrastinate on some things like oh i don't want to do that i am going to wait now yeah and i'll do something else and that's that's kind that's, of sorry go on mm -hmm, go ahead well no no I mean, you go ahead that that's kind of why i did this it's like focus is already hard enough like life is already hard enough <laughs> um focus and presence are are brutally hard skills even if you are you know a peasant you know out in the countryside farming or whatever it it's hard enough it's hard enough if you are a farmer or whatever without technology. Like, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the baseline of human existence, it's, it's hard enough. Mm -hmm. It's brutal enough. There's a reason why, you know, Buddhists and Stoics have spent, you know, thousands of years trying to develop these these skills of presence and focus. And the reason is because it's hard. It's it's contrary to human nature, even even at the best of times, even in, even in in situations of the most optimal focus. And like anyone who does a, a long silent retreat will discover this where you know, if you go on a silent retreat and you're like, oh, finally, I can, you know, I can finally get some peace and quiet. And then you discover that your mind is absolutely out of fucking control. <laughs> like you, you find that you, when you, when you actually sit down during a silent retreat, you, you discover, oh, my mind is completely out of control. And that is the way it is 24 seven. You know, heart life is hard enough. At least for me. And this isn't, you know, I hope I hope that that none of this comes off as me berating or judging other people for their technology usage. It's like we're all in this together. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm realizing that. A lot of that is uh, with you yourself, particularly. I don't see it affecting me as much. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, of course, you know, we we were talking about this uh, in a couple episodes ago, where like your Twitter followers and mine are like, <laughs> I have a drop in the bucket compared to yours. And so, when you go on Twitter, it's a whole different experience for you than when I go on it's Twitter. It's a it's a fucking circus. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And it, a lot of this will probably, a lot of this will depend on people's individual neurodiversity. You know, it'll it'll like depend on the wiring of their own brain. And it's possible that there are some people who are just totally content and able to to stay present despite these interruptions and not feel like it just completely shatters them um i feel completely shattered i mean it's a feeling of being totally fractured if i'm on social media and then i i can't do anything for the rest of the day and the entire day is lost i mean that's really 
what it's like for me. The entire day is lost. And so I, I cannot get onto social media. Um, if I have any hope of doing any writing or any, you know, having productive meetings or having a good show or whatever, you know, it's entirely possible that there are people for whom that's not the case. Um, and it probably also depends on people's individual situations. Like I manage a grocery store. I... I'm uh, on ordination council for the Satanic Temple. I run this Discord server, and I'm a content creator, and I run Rock Candy Recordings with Matt Langston. So that is a metric fuck ton of incoming data. <laughs> like that's that's a that's a metric fuck ton of just incoming noise twenty four seven. Um, yeah, anyway, but regarding Twitter, it really, yeah. it it really is like the more followers you have, the more deranged it becomes. Um, it becomes more like, um, you know, that, that scene of the insane asylum at the beginning of Amadeus. Um, and so I now call logging into social media, the, exclu oh, yes. the exclusion zone, entering the exclusion zone, uh, as in the exclusion zone of Chernobyl. <laughs> and so it's like, I only have to, I, I will only consciously and deliberately log into Twitter if I want to get a massive dose of radiation poisoning because I know it's going to happen in some way. I'm going to see some, you know, bummer piece of news. I'm, you know, people are going to be yelling at me. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And so it's like, I'm only going to log in if I am mentally prepared to enter the exclusion zone and get a massive dose of radiation poisoning. Anyway. Right. Well, say for instance, last last week we were talking about that Twitter apology that you gave. Were you is that something that you did consciously where you said, Okay, I'm gonna take the time to yes. address this issue that I did not explain very well. Yes. So, that is okay. that is something I did very, very deliberately. Yeah, and you know mm -hmm. in in regards to and a lot of what I'm thinking about now in terms of focus has actually stemmed from that interesting exchange on Twitter because it, it occurred to me that I might actually just have a more catastrophic experience with Twitter because of the nature of my brain than maybe other people do. And so here I am like, Oh my God, this shit is fucking ruining my life. This, you know, this is destroying everything good for me why doesn't anyone acknowledge this or see that? And everyone everyone else is like, yeah, you know, it's kind of bad, but, you know, I can manage it. And I'm like, how? how? And, and I realized that that kind of disconnect probably just comes down to the nature of my own brain. Um, but yeah, with that clarification that I made, 
on Twitter, I don't care very much if people are mad at me, but I care very deeply if I feel like what I intended to say was not communicated or was not understood. That's that's what I care a lot about. Whether people are furious over a message that I feel like is properly communicated, I don't care about that. <laughs> I do care if I feel like it's I'm being misunderstood or or misinterpreted or like I have not articulated myself well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, moral of the story. Everyone needs to send me a, a carrier pigeon if they want to get my attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way now. That's the only way to get my attention. They have to send me a carrier pigeon. And it might not, you know, this might not last forever. I might go back to turning on notifications. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Anything else on your mind? Right. Well, yeah, I was just going to say it had the unintended consequence of me sending you a message and then waiting three or four days for a response. Yes, I know. So there have been casualties. There have been a few casualties. That was one of them. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, now I'm getting better at like just having scheduled times that I look at my messages and just batch them where it like in between things like okay you know i have to stock this shelf at work that'll take me about an hour i'm just going to focus on that once i'm done with that then i'll look at my messages you know i'm getting better at at doing that um so hopefully that won't be an issue from from here on out but yes i apologize that was not great of me <laughs> Um, which is what I, I what I when I had asked you that question I didn't mean for it to be a, a whole topic <laughs> hey <laughs> so, listen I had I not was, even because so, I was thinking yeah go on no, I was just I was just gonna say I just wanted a clarification it's like hey did you mean that was also for text messages because you had apologized and I was thinking because he had just apologized for not getting back to me right away <laughs> yep that's, so that's, that's why exactly why that. <laughs> That is exactly why. Okay. Well, you know, we've spent the past 40 minutes talking about the most boring topic on the planet, which is my which is my iPhone notifications. Um, <laughs> is there anything else on your mind? <laughs> uh, oh, I had something in my mind, but uh, we, we were talking also about uh, the service industry, which I think is right. actually sort of cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, and I just watched one little episode on Netflix about cults, and I thought it was really cool. Oh, which one? Um, it was called uh, the. It's called Explained. And By they go various... Vox. Huh? By Vox. V O X. Um, no, no, no. It's on Netflix. Oh, okay, um, cool. I don't. Uh, it's a whole series called Explain, and they go through various topics. And I didn't want to go th bench through the whole thing as I got like most of this is um, uh, not interesting to me. But the one that that they did about cults, I thought was very interesting. Hmm. Um, and um, they went over. They talked about you know they talked about Jonestown. They talked about some old. I guess there was this. Uh, uh, 
the state of New York, um, New York State was the scene of all sorts of new religious movements. Yes. That, so Mitch Horowitz that happened. Mitch Horowitz wrote a mm-hmm. fantastic book called Occult America, and he's like a scholar of the occult. Um, and he's he's fantastic, and I recommend everyone read his stuff. But his book, Occult America, a good portion of it focuses on that region of of yes. America, like New York State, and how it was just this hotbed of new religious movements and and kind of fringe, interesting, weird new religious expressions that have proliferated through America and the rest of the world. It's fascinating. Well, and I, it was interesting for me because they they showed it showed like these branches, almost like a tree of all these branches of the of mm. these new movements that popped up. And many of them I recognized right away. Of course, you know, like Mormonism, the Millerites, Jehovah's yep. Witnesses. They all had their founding there in New York State. And yep. then another one I I thought was really interesting was the Oneida community. And I look at that, what Oneida? I only know that as a cutlery um place. <laughs> and it's the same thing. So I don't absolutely I don't know about it's this. It's absolutely the same thing. What are yes. well, what is Oneida? Oneida is a city in um, New York. Okay. Um, and they had oh gosh, it was the weirdest thing when I I just I had to pause it and then it was called the Oneida community and it was a perfectionist religious communal society I'm reading off Wikipedia so my apologies there but um, founded by somebody named John Humphrey Noyes Hmm. and uh, he he had this uh, uh, is base it was in 1848 and so it was basically a free love society type place Interesting. In so it's one of So it's one of those 19th century American utopian communities that were just like Basically, but it was based on free love. Like you Interesting. You could have sex with whomever you wanted to. Men or like uh, just the opposite sex? Like how did how did they feel I about the gays? Yeah, I don't know if that was an even an issue. I mean, you know, cuz that's I don't know what that was like back then. Yeah. But I uh, when I was reading it, I, it it seemed to say that there was a problem because every all these women at first were starting to get pregnant all the time, <laughs> and so the community realized they needed to do something about it and arranged for um to think of women first, mm. which was an unusual thing about that. It was one of the few religious communities that thought of women first. Hmm. And so they, and so with young men, okay, this goes out really bizarre. They would groom them, these younger men, with women who were over 40. Oh, who great. Would be less, so it, was, it was a cougar cougars. cult. It was a cougar yes. cult. <laughs> <laughs> but because who were, these women were less likely to become pregnant. But I guess part of it was as Noyes, this, uh, man who founded the society his own wife had had five difficult pregnancies four of which ended in um uh stillbirths and so uh hmm. um so I, that was part of the reason and then they died i mean they then they moved to they slowly died out but they not before they had uh 
um, turned their little town into a little industry place, and one of them was uh, silverware. And I remember Oneida Cutlery, you know. That's interesting. And that, that's, that's that same, that's a descendant of that huh. that cult movement. So two things, and, two thoughts come to mind. Yes, go on. Oh, and the other thing uh, that um, re, uh, um, Reza Aslan was also on there. Of course, he's a great um, mm, yeah, professor. Yeah, he's interesting. And, um, yeah, he's uh, really cool. I really like listening yeah, I really like listening to some of his thoughts, and and he, he was talking about all the great religious movements that started, and when you try to differentiate between cult oh, yeah. and what a re- real religion is, he said a joke that they say amongst each other is, uh, cult plus time equals a religion. Exactly. No, it's true, and it's one of the reasons why lots of new religious movement scholars avoid the term cult altogether, um, and... Yeah, they call it new religious movement. Yeah, and and one thing that Joseph Laycock says is instead just use the word religion and just call something a healthy religion or an unhealthy religion, right? And uh, two two thoughts that I had while listening to you talk. One is, mm-hmm. uh, as you as as you look into new religious movements, it is impressive how horny they are, like. <laughs> Almost invariably, so many, I mean, not all of them, a, a lot of them aren't, like, um, you know, Heaven's Gate. Heaven's, I was going to say, that was the first one that had popped in my Heaven's, head. Heaven's Gate was very not horny. They, it was anti-horny. It was, but um, it, it was like an anti, anti-sex anti cult. But even then, you know, even then it was, it seems like Heaven's Gate, a lot of that was Marshall Applewhite working through his own sexuality. And so, you know, sex is very important in so many of these movements. And, you know, what's so impressive about so many of these about so many of these new religious movements is is just how horny they are. The Shakers, though, were definitely not. They were a celibate society that existed for decades. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that I was going to say, um, do you it's impressive the uh, how a number of fringe religious movements have infiltrated American capitalism. Have you seen the brand Kettle Chips? Yes. Do you know who... who, who, Yes, I have. Yeah. Do you know where that's from? Uh, From potatoes being deep fried in a kettle. Correct. It is also... (laughs) um, (laughs) Kettle Chips was founded by, uh, by Yogi Bhajan. Um, Yogi Bhajan is this very, very controversial uh, religious leader who came to the United States from either India or Pakistan, I forget which. And he is the one who kind of created a Western Kundalini yoga. And he, he is one of those more controversial gurus in that he... Um, there's lots of sexual abuse allegations against him. He, I I do think that he was a very unhealthy and destructive leader. Um, people just have horror stories about Yogi Bhajan. Are you sure about that? Yogi Bhajan and kettle chips? No, about yeah. Yes. Hold on. Let me look. Let me let me confirm because I might be wrong. 
I'm looking under Kettle Foods. When you look under Kettle Chips, was founded by Cameron Healy in really? 1978. Hold on. No, I'm pretty. Let, let's Google Yogi Bajan Kettle Chips and see what comes up. That This tangent might have just all been for naught, but let's see. I know that Yogi Bajan has been kind of instrumental in a lot of businesses. Yogi. Harbajan Singh Khalsa died in 2004. Let me clear. I'm looking it up as well. Healthy, happy, holy organization. Interfaith work. Healing arts. I don't see anything about kettle chips, bud. Huh. Let's see here. Cameron Healy. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. Um. Kettle Foods Inc. of Salem, Oregon is a maker of healthy gourmet snacks. Um, Cameron Healy founded Kettle Chips uh, with a $10,000 bank loan and no working capital. Healy then uh, sold his all-natural items from a dilapidated van to natural food stores along Interstate 5, Oregon. According to the company's website, he had no, uh, let's see here. Healy first had entered the natural food industry in 1972 when he invested $1,000 to start the Golden Temple Bakery in Eugene, Oregon. Golden Temple, which grew out of the local yoga and Sikh communities, produced granola and whole grain breads, uh, which it distributed to a natural food store throughout the Williams State Valley. Healy, a native of Bend, Oregon, and son of businesses, uh, da 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 so interesting because there's definitely one of the things that came up repeatedly when I was in the yoga community was like, oh, kettle chips. That's Yogi Bhajan's thing. Um, like that's part of the that's that's run by his community. And so either the yoga community I was in is wrong um. We might have to, let's see here. Now people are just hearing us type furiously. Um, he went on to us. Oh, here we go. When India-born Yogi Bhajan came to the United States in 1968 to teach Kundalini Yoga, a revolution was sweeping the nation. Um... Oh, in 1972, members of the fledgling Eugene Ashram launched a tiny bakery in Springfield, which they later, later donated to the Sikh community. It grew into Golden Temple, an anchor of Eugene's natural food industry and a major local employer of and charitable donor. The Eugene Ashram grew steadily, becoming the northwest hub for Yogi Bhajan's brand of Sikhism. His adherence with turbans, flowing robes, and leggings became a common sight. Over the years, members of the ashram married, bought homes, sent their children to local schools, and became part of the larger community. In 2004, Yogi Bhajan died after devising a succession plan that split control of the community's religious life and its business life, including Golden Temple, now a lucrative international producer of natural cereals and teas based in Eugene. 
Six years ago, or six years later, a dispute over who owns and controls the multi-million dollar business had erupted into a court battle that is fracturing the community. The fight in Multnomah County Circuit Court has centered around the shift ownership of Golden Temple. Um, and then Kettle Chips got a hit somewhere in this article, but probably... This is very boring to listeners and no one cares. So I'm so he does have like a a food empire. He did have a food empire that kettle chips may or may not have been related to in some way. But that's that's what I was thinking of. The whole point being, it's really interesting to me the ways in which new religious movements get entangled in certain forms of capitalism. Um and and how kind of lots of name brand items are actually related to very weird fringe religious leaders. <laughs> that is that is the moral of the story. Yeah, one of our um, patrons um, has uh, shared a link in the chat room from the San Francisco Reporter uh, mm. mentioning it, and it basically just it mentions kettle chips in there, but that. Uh, the person who founded it was a follower of the uh, That makes more Gobi sense. Bajan. Yeah, that makes more so. sense. And he might have it's oh, let's see here. He uh Yogi Bhajan's charisma and the teachings he brought from India were very appealing and kind of exotic to young Americans in the nineteen sixties, says Cameron Healy, a member of Yogi Bhajan's organization for twenty three years. Healy mm. was a founder of the Springfield Bakery that grew into Golden Temple. Ah, uh, okay, so the founder and then he went on to establish kettle chips in Salem in nineteen seventy eight. Okay, I see. So so the founder exactly. of Okay, that makes that makes much more sense. Yeah, so you know, it's it's our culture, and I recommend everyone read Occult America because what what Mitch Horowitz demonstrates is how deeply embedded weirdness is, and and kind of fringe religious movements and new religious movements, how embedded they are in American mainstream culture, from products that that we eat well, to. To like exactly. films, I mean, to to like films and like really mainstream ideas, like a lot of that came from the fringe. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of things that we get from society come from unexpected areas. Um, of course, you got the Kellogg and his uh, great experiment trying to invent a bland cereal <laughs> to curb the masturbatory yes. uh, That's boys there. right. That's right. Oh my god. We have to do a whole episode on Kellogg at some point. We should <laughs> we should do a whole House of Heretics episode. Um Kellogg gave us both breakfast cereal and infant circumcision, says one person in chat. Don't know if that's true, but it very well may be. This is just further proof that we should do a whole episode on Kellogg. All right. Well, well there is an Yeah, go on. There is an issue of yeah, there was an issue of Adam Ruins Everything. Have you ever watched any of that? Oh, of stuff? course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he and he talked about circumcision in the United States. And it, if you go back to what it originally was, um, people say, oh, you can go ahead and get get circumcised. It's what my son, uh, my father did. And so, and so he can look more like his father. But it started off with uh, people trying to control masturbation. So, And yeah. that sounds something definitely like Kellogg would have done. Absolutely. So, 
moral of the story, do not control your masturbation. Everyone <laughs> should masturbate. <laughs> this is a pro-masturbation show. Gonna, and you're going to release this publicly. Oh, yeah. Ab- of course. <laughs> hey, listen. My public show, my public show is filthy but more professionally filthy like i i talked <laughs> i talked to sex workers and and yes, sex experts and so on and so forth um everyone is just on better behavior <laughs> on the public show that should be your description for sacred tension filthy but professionally filthy <laughs> absolutely all right well i th- we are uh we've been going for about an hour so we should probably wrap this up but um thank you everyone so much for listening dear patrons you are my personal lords and saviors i truly could not do this without you also thank you again because i had a massive issue with my van last week and the only reason i was able to afford repairs was because of my patrons so thank you so much like for real that patreon money saved my car and i don't know where i would be uh without my patrons right now every little bit helps so thank you so much and for anyone listening to this who wants to join just uh follow the link in the show notes and you will get extra content every week as well as access to the patron only channels on my discord server all right is that it i think that's it bye take care (laughs) ciao